So is God a God of love? Yes. So if you've been here, what kind of proof did I offer? Or what kind of backup material did I, did I offer to, to back up that statement? John 3.16, which is what? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And then verse 17, he sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save it, right? For God so loved the world. So John 3.16, woo, look at that. If you were ever in Sunday school somewhere where it was a decent Christian church, you probably know that verse or at least know part of it. All right, what else? What else did I, what else did I use as, as backup? You didn't know it was a test today, did you? The creation story, yes. And what, do you remember what I, where I sort of went with that? At the end of each day, God said that it was good. Right, and the creation story is also one of the, one of the very few creation stories, if not a unique creation story in the history of the universe that we know of that doesn't begin with violence. It doesn't have some sort of violent way that either two gods are fighting with each other and the heaven and the earth are created or the universe is created or whether in one case I think it's the Marduk rips him or herself in half and becomes the heavens and the earth or the universe. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a non-violent, in a way, loving creation story. Again, unique in human history. And this is how the, the Hebrews understood who God was. So from the very beginning, from the very creation, the very inception of our understanding of who God is, God is a God of love. What else? Any, any, any other things that I might have cited that you remember? Yes, ma'am. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Yes. The love chapter. Right. Right. And then in 1 John, you find lots of places where it says God is love. Jennifer read that this morning, a little passage in 1 John. So, I mean, I just, I, I highlight that primarily because we live, again, we're living in a time when for many people who, who have never, well, even for some who've been, been part of Christian churches, don't feel like it's a very loving place a very understanding place, a very welcoming kind of place. The fact that you're here today puts you in a minority. And maybe you're still wondering, is, you know, this is your first visit here, is Westminster Church a place of, of welcome and of warmth and of love? Or is it a place where there's division and there's hatred and there's in and there's out? Because what we hear especially from a lot of the largest Christian voices in, in the world, but definitely in America, is a very divisive message, in my opinion. And so that's when, when people hear that, they're like, well, why, why would I want to be near a Christian? Like, they're the most hate-filled people, divisive people I've ever heard, right? When people, I've said this before, they did a study, and when you ask people about Christians— they hear judgmental, angry, you know, not very forgiving, all this sort of thing. And then you ask them about Jesus and they're like, oh, grace and love and hope and faith. It's just, it, it's just disconcerting how, how Jesus, who, who we're supposed to be following and who we're supposed to be becoming more and more Christ-like, gets divorced from the real felt experience of a lot of people. So I just want to highlight that because I think today... For us, for those who follow Jesus, for those who are disciples of Jesus the Christ, 
we have a big job to do because we have a lot to overcome. We have a lot to overcome if people are going to hear a message that comes through what we call the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that welcomes them in and shows them a way of life, which is very difficult. I'm not saying that following Jesus is easy, but it is the most amazing, difficult thing you'll ever do in your life, is to follow Jesus and to realize how loved you are by God. That that love is unconditional. That that love brings you in every time you wander off the path. It welcomes you back. It says, okay, you're here again. I'm so grateful. Let's go. Come and follow me. And yes, I'm talking about Genesis 1 and Genesis 3. I mean, there are consequences for our actions, right? When we don't act in loving ways, oftentimes not such good things happen to us. But sometimes it's interesting, isn't it? We, we look out in the world and we go, man, that, those people are doing some really bad things and it looks like all kinds of good things are happening to them. Well, we got to stop thinking about what's happening with other people. I mean, this, God does some weird stuff. It, in the Bible, it says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That sucks. But it's just true, right? I mean... I want the rain to fall on me. I want to be job. I want my crops to flourish. I want, I want my church to grow. I want my, you know, like, why, why can't it just all happen for me? Because I, I'm a good person. Like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a quid pro quo mode, right? I'll do good for you, Jesus. You do good for me. It's not the way it works. God's love is not a feeling. God's love is a fact. And God's love is there for us at all points in time. Most of the time, it's us that turns away. It's available to us at all times and in all places, even in the most desperate of situations, God's love is there for us, holding us and caring for us. So what I've done in this series then is is to talk about a God of love and then to say, okay, so that being so, how do people who follow Jesus, how are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to be? Love serves. Love serves. Uh, I love this. <laughs> I love, well, I just love the disciples, period, because they're just idiots. <laughs> I mean, they're just humans, right? They're just, I mean, that's the amazing thing about the gospel story for me is Jesus, Jesus didn't write, Jesus did not write a systematic theology for us to follow. In fact, we don't think he wrote down anything. He left behind a people who he'd been teaching. A bunch of messed up, broken people left behind and said, hey, you're going to do greater things than me. What? It is the most amazing thing ever. And I just fall in love with that story all the time. But so this is just, this is just so typical of the disciples. Here we are. It's, it's the institution of what we call the Last Supper, or the institution of the Lord's Supper, but we call it the, also call it the Last Supper. And, and Jesus has just, you know, served them and said, hey, this is my body, this is my blood. In other gospels, you hear that he took off a towel and then he washed their feet. That is not in the Luke passage here, but let's just say that 
let's just conflate some things and say that that happened here. So here he is. He's just been serving them like a servant would when you would come into their in, into homes back in the Middle East at that time, and there would be a servant there to wash your feet because your feet would have been gross and grimy and dusty and dirty from all from walking because you just had some sandals on, and and they go from that to this. A dispute arises among them as to which one of them was regarded as the greatest. Well, it's Muhammad Ali, people. Can we just get over that? No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Tom Brady, maybe? Oh, we got, we got some patriot haters in here. Let's see. Uh, I don't know. Greatest of all times. Who you got? Jack Nicholas. There we go. Nobody can hate you. Anyway. Sorry, that was a little joke. Um, a dispute among them arose to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So typical of us humans, right? We can take something so awesome and meaningful and poignant, and maybe it wasn't to them, I don't know, but it, at least for us looking back, it's easy to sort of read a lot of meaning into that, because we do. Um, and they're busting each other's chops about who's, who's, you know, who's, who's going to be the closest to Jesus, basically. Who's his, who's his second lieutenant, or who's his first lieutenant, or who's his captain, or, you know, whatever, whatever those hierarchies are. Unbelievable, but so believable. The things that we humans can, can get in these discussions about. And I love this, and Jesus just says, it just feels like very calmly to me. The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. And they're probably going, yep, you're right. They do. They, they lord it over us. I mean, I, I'm guessing you've never had a boss that lorded it over you. Right? I mean, America has some problems with kings lording stuff over them, right? A couple hundred or so years ago, had a little problem with a king that lorded it over us. And I love this phrase, too. I just want to talk about this a bit. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. Like, you're supposed to be grateful for them lording it over you. Oh, yes, sir, may I have another, right, comes to mind. I mean, it's just, a, it's fascinating. The, at least for me, like, it, it's not like dripping with sarcasm, but almost, it seems like. You know, wouldn't it be great to be in the room and just see, I mean, was Jesus really sarcastic? You know, we're, I mean, because some of the things that he says, you know, it's just hyperbole. Like it is, it is so blown out. You're just like, okay, he's definitely, that's, that's a metaphor. That's something he's saying that's just unbelievable. But this is, this is great. The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. Those in authority are, over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. I mean, how, do, how would you like to be Peter or James or John or whatever, and you're talking about how great you are and how you ought to be second lieutenant and all this sort of thing, and Jesus says, not so with us. That's not how we roll. That's not how we do things around here. The greatest among you must become like the youngest. That's an interesting phrase. And the leader, like the one who serves. The greatest among you must, must become like the youngest, meaning the greatest among you must become like one who has a fresh and open mind, who doesn't act like they know it all. That's sort of what the, the word, the Greek word behind that youngest gets to. 
It's almost like that you, you've got to go back to the beginning and just be open to, to what's happening. The greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the one who serves. And what's interesting is in our society, I think especially over the past 25 years-ish or so, I'm, I'm a big geek about leadership and, and I read about that and, and, and try, to, try to live out those principles and try to teach our elders some of those principles and work with them as, in, as leaders. And there's a lot of press and there's a lot of books written about servant leadership, about servant leadership. But what's interesting to me is even in those books, even in the best ones, and especially today in the entrepreneurial world, I see, well, well we're, here to, we're just here to serve, we're just here to serve, we're just here to serve, we're just here to serve. But in the back of our minds, there's quid pro quo, right? Yeah, we're here to serve, but what does that mean? You're going to write me a big old check someday. Because eventually, I'm going to get your business. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I mean, I, I love the fact that, that at least businesses, corporations, some of them, you know, people, salesmen, what, you know, people out there are trying to think about how can I actually make this person's life easier and better? How can I serve them with the products that I have or with the whatever I have? How can I, how can I make their experience of this better? Again, it's, 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 it's a lovely sentiment, and when it's done really well, it's like you don't, you never get the, you never sniff the, you know, the thing that they're just, just like, I'm waiting for the check to clear. But we talk about this a lot in our culture today, but it came from right here. It came from what the church was supposed to be about. And again, you've heard me say that as people who, are, who follow a God of love, we don't follow a God of love who says, well, just make yourself a welcome mat then. Just be a wet rot, wash rag, you know, and let everybody just wring you out and, and use you for whatever they need and set you aside. I mean, that's, that's, not, that's not where I'm going here. That's, that's been done too much, especially to women in church society. Well, you're supposed to be the one who serves among us. So don't complain, don't, don't let your voice be heard, don't, you know, just do what you're told. Well, that's not right. That doesn't honor a human being in any way, shape, or form. So Jesus, Jesus says that love serves, and he's the one who showed us what that means, right? He's the one who showed us what that means by washing the disciples' feet, Love one another as I have loved you, he said. Not with a lorded over you love, not with, a dem- not with a, 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 all these demands and all these rules and regulations, but with a love that serves. And he, again, goes back to some facts or truth. For who is greater, the one who is at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at table? Yes, it is. Right, when you go out to eat, and you're the one sitting at table, not serving the table, you're in the power position. It's your needs that are being served. It's your needs that are being fulfilled, right? But Jesus says, but I came among you as one who serves. Again, get the metaphor. I came among you as one who serves. I could have been as the son of God, and then we call, go to calling him, us Trinitarians call him God self, Right? part of the Holy Trinity, I came among you as one who serves. I could have lorded it over you. I could have made you serve my every need. I could have had you do this and that and the other thing. But I didn't. I came among you as one who serves. 
So in turn, not to get something from God, not to earn God's love, but to respond to this love of God that never stops in our lives, to respond to the fact that God first loved us, we then in love serve each other, serve our neighbor, serve ourselves, serve the stranger, serve the alien, serve the sojourner. That's just the biblical principle. Love serves. And so who do we become as people then as in following a God of love? Well, we become as people workers, learners, singers, servers, God, neighbor, self, and stranger loving people. That's who we're called to be. In each and every facet of our lives, we are called to be looking at how can I serve in love? How can I give myself in such a way that it models and represents this love that has been given to me? And again, as I said, it is the hardest path you'll ever follow because it's not easy to know what it is you're supposed to do. And it's not easy to get it right, and a lot of times we get it wrong. Jennifer and I have been married, here we go, look out, we've been married for 27 years, and what's been really great for me about our relationship is this, each one of us is willing to do whatever it takes to make the household run. Laundry needs to be done, somebody does laundry. Dishes need to be done, somebody does dishes. The cooking needs to be done, somebody figures out how to cook. We ham and egg it, as we say. Right? We put it together. Whoever's got the time, that's who does it. You see a need, you fill it. It works for us. I don't know how it ever came about, but I'm so glad that it did. Right? Because it just, it just makes our relationship, because we're just serving one another in that way. We're just serving each other in that way. And there's no expectation then that, well, I'm doing this so I can get that later. Right? We're not, we have a chalkboard in our, in our kitchen and, and we don't keep a tally mark of how many times Joel did the, did the laundry or did the dishes or how many times Jennifer, you know, cleaned the toilets or, or whatever. And it's not perfect and we're not perfect, but it works for us. And so it's those kinds of things that I'm talking about that, that we love, not because we, we think we're going to get something back, but we love because God first loved us. And we serve because Jesus first served us. And I'm going to tell you, when, when you begin to get the kind of love that that is, it could just change your life. It could just change your work. It could just change your relationships. It could just, it could just change everything about you. And that's a little scary. But when you allow the love of God to flow in you and fill you in this way, when you really begin to just believe it, have faith in it and trust it, not that everything is going to be perfect, but that God's love is there in all the imperfection, we become those working and learning and singing and serving and God and neighbor and self and stranger loving people. A very famous Presbyterian, the Reverend Fred Rogers said, in difficult times, you know what I'm going to say, Faith? 
Look for the helpers. Church, that's who we are. Amen.